Good evening, I'm Christian Esguera, and welcome to this episode of After the Fact, where we get to see things more clearly, where we get a better sense of the truth. Let's begin by dissecting the news. President Rodrigo Duterte has lifted the government ban on open pit mining to attract more industry revenues, but much to the dismay of anti-mining activists. Duterte's former environment secretary imposed the ban four years ago in response to massive environmental damage blamed on this particular method of mining. The new administrative order signed by current secretary Roy Sumatu imposes safeguards requiring responsible mining. Whether these would be enough to protect the environment remains to be seen. Now be part of our discussion. Send us your questions and comments on our YouTube live chat or tweet us using the hashtag ANCAfterTheFact. Joining us tonight is Mr. JB Garganera. He's the National Coordinator of Alianza Tigil Mina. Good evening, JB, and thank you for joining us tonight on the program. Good evening, Sir Christian. Good evening to your viewers. And thank you for having us and giving us this opportunity to explain our reaction. Okay, I'm not sure whether this is good news for your group, but uh, President Duterte has lifted a four-year-old uh, ban on open pit mining. Let's talk about the implications of this. Why are you so opposed to this decision by the government? Well, there, were, there was a basis in uh, imposing the ban in the first place. Coming in the first few months of former DNR Secretary Gina Lopez, she saw firsthand, and there were evidences, that mining companies and mining projects were either violating our environmental laws or not complying with their contractual obligations. And that was very clear on the mine audit that was undertaken in that year. And the administrative order to ban open pit mining was not a flimsy idea. It was based on solid evidence coming from the mine audit, plus the experience from other countries who have banned open pit mining even before we did. So, you know, that word is very apt. We were dismayed. Uh, of course, it was a it was it was a party pooper for this season for many environmental groups signing an administrative order that has serious repercussions on our environment and rights of affected communities a few days before christmas but we must we must realize this at the middle of a disaster caused by typhoon odette which is clearly linked with deforestation and climate change so we are dismayed we are sad and Many of us are also angry, and I hope we put to good use these energies generated by this, for us, a very myopic and short-sighted policy decision by Secretary Simatu. Okay, first of all, let's talk about open pit mining and why it is so objectionable as far as your group and other anti-mining activists are concerned. What basically is the problem with open pit mining in, rela in relation to the environment? Well, our main problem is literally the open pit mining is in direct conflict with other land uses uh, that we have put in place already. There is no other way to go about it. Open pit mining will cut trees. They will facilitate deforestation. The open pit mining has a huge demand for water. 
Now, leveling mountains is only half of the story. The other half of the tragic story is there is the pit. And once we permanently disturb the landscape of a forest or a mountain and realign the rivers, then we are introducing permanent change to that landscape. Open pit mining is very objectionable to us because we are an archipelagic country. And most of the mines that we have identified and almost all of the mining tenements that we have in place right now are in the forest area or in the mountains or in the fragile small island ecosystems. I mean, open pit mining can be acceptable to continental countries like the vast lands and deserts in Africa or Canada or the US or in Russia and China for that because of the huge continental mass. It's a solid country and most of their open pit mines are hundreds of kilometers away from settlements or from river systems and possibly even away from the forest resources. That is not the case in our country. Our data shows almost more than half, not almost, more than half of our key biodiversity areas are directly impacted by these mining tenements. And if we take a look at the indigenous people's lands, almost three-fourths of ancestral domains of indigenous peoples are directly affected by mining applications and tenements. And okay. you know it's hard to, to, to visualize this, but we are talking about the remaining forests of the Philippines when we churn out those numbers of half of key biodiversity areas and three-fourths of ancestral domains of indigenous peoples. That's why it's very, very difficult for us to accept that the DNR is prioritizing, in fact, a very insignificant economic return from mining at the expense of our forest and ancestral domains. Okay, let's talk about the track record of uh, open pit mining operations in the Philippines. Let's talk about actual cases which uh, showed very serious environmental impacts. Yeah, well, the classic case would be Marinduque, uh, the Mark Copper tragedy. And although the Marinduque mining project came before the Philippine Mining Act, we grant that. But so let's limit our discussion. What has been the track record of large-scale mining projects since 1995 when the Philippine Mining Act was, uh, was passed as a law and became the regulatory framework for mining here in the Philippines. Some of those uh, clearly violative, they violated our environmental laws and failed to comply with their contractual obligations is the Rapu-Rapu mines in uh, Bicol. Used to be the poster boy of responsible mining, but an abnormal precipitation in that year, I think it was 2000, six or 2007 and overflowed. And so that was the first major open pit mine accident. Then it was followed by Felix mines um, in 2011 or 2012. But our documentation from our sites of struggles within the members of Alianza Tigelina, our documentation revealed that mining projects owned by Oceana Gold in Nueva Vizcaya they have several violations and even that's why even the local governments uh, from the barangay up to the provincial level are against the renewal of the DPO mine in, in Nueva Vizcaya. In fact, 
that the DPO mines owned by Oceana Gold has this uh, notoriety of having earned a a resolution from the Commission on Human Rights of the Philippines for actually violating and abusing the rights of mine-affected communities. But you know, there are the other open pit mines that on top of my head that have really crossed the lines of violating our laws include Filminera Mines in Aurora Masbate. We have Ipila Nickel Corporation in Brooks Point in Palawan. Uh, you have Mark Ventures Minerals Development Corporation in Surigao del Sur, um, in Caraga. So there are a lot, and I think the mine audit done by DNR in 2016 to 2017, that was the justification for the closure and suspension orders against 28 operating mines at that time. Okay. Given this uh, track record that you mentioned, where do you attribute those um, those impacts, those effects that you cited? Is it more about the failure of regulation, basically failure by the government to regulate the industry, or there was something really inherent with the with open pit open pit mining methods that would render perhaps even strict government regulation not as effective? Yeah, well, I would attribute it to three things. Uh, num- first, I. I you know, there are evidence that the mining companies themselves failed to comply with their own obligations stated in their contracts. Uh, constructing adequate tailings dam facilities. I think that's the most violations that were recorded. So on the part of mining companies themselves, it's it's their obligations that they failed to actually perform. and And that's one of the reasons why we have this so many accidents. Uh, second, with, still within the obligations of the company, I think the mining industry has failed to secure the acceptability uh, from communities because they have not convinced either the communities themselves or the local governments that the long-term benefits of these mining projects will redound or will benefit the communities themselves. And so you have very low acceptability uh, from them. And that's why you will have more resistance against uh, these large-scale mining projects. On the other hand, we, we, we do find the DNR themselves, uh, they have inadequate people, they do not have the funds, they do not have enough expertise, and certainly I don't think they have the political will to really enforce uh, all our environmental laws and effectively regulate the mining industry. I, I don't believe that the DNR, especially the MGB, has the political will to really make sure that the mining industry toe the line and practice rational mining. Didn't we see this political will during the term of uh, then Environment Secretary Gina Lopez? Yeah, definitely. In fact, we didn't realize we could actually implement our environmental laws. And, and so our conclusion then was, so it, it, it just takes political will. Somebody who doesn't even have that high expertise of environmental laws, but who had that, who could recognize what was the value of the environment and natural resources to the actual benefit of the people. It was easier for Gina Lopez to make those hard political decisions because she won she didn't see she saw the numbers and she saw the figures 
and and she said no mining is not going to benefit us and statistical statistics prove her right so yes political will does make a difference and as i said earlier i don't think this secretary secretary simatu and especially people in the mines and geosciences bureau aside from not having adequate funds people and expertise they do not have the political will to enforce effective regulatory mechanisms in the mining industry let's also give an idea of how big open pit mining operations are in the philippines despite the, the 40 year old ban which has been lifted by by the government sure uh, you know our latest data is that as of 2020 uh we're using mgb data from 2020 there are about 728 live mining contracts all over the philippines Now, we started Alianza Tigilmina in 2005. Between 2005 and before the pandemic started, up to 2019, that number of mining contracts was between 450 to 550. So we couldn't believe the database we were reading around June of this year. How could we have more mining projects, approved mining contracts in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic? Never in our history have we had that high number of approved mining contracts and live mining contracts at 721 um uh, and then we have of those 721 granted not all of them are operating some of them are in exploration stage some of them are still on construction stage but out of the 720 51 are operating you mean you have excavation you have digging you have processing in 51 large scale mining projects across the country Again, never in our history have we had that so much number of operating mines. Pre-pandemic, I think the highest was between 45, 46. So it's really hard to to understand how could we have the highest number of mining operating mining projects in the middle of a pandemic? About was that also largely affected by the decision by the government to lift the moratorium on new agreements yeah but you know lift, the, the lifting of the moratorium happened this year uh it was mm-hmm. april uh so i think there was really you know this is also part of our frustration dnr failed to disclose many of these applications to the lgs and to the mining affected communities and again i go back to the classic case of the dpo mines in eva viscaya And that's very important because it's technically it's titled FTAA number one, Financial Technical Assistance Agreement number one. That project was supposed by people, by the church, even by the local governments in Nueva Vizcaya. I still distinctly remember in October 2019, before the pandemic, right in front of Secretary Simatu, we asked the MGB, is there a live application for the renewal of this DDPU mines and MGB said no we, we are not aware because we had the local governments with us handli- handing over a petition opposing the renewal of the DDPU mines and yet this year June of 2021 the renewal for 25 years of the DDPU mines was signed and issued so somebody was lying to us two years ago and in the past two years even Governor Padilla from Nueva Vizcaya had difficulty in accessing all the application papers. So 
we're saying this is abnormal. This is not normal for the DNR and the MGB to be aggressively promoting mining at the height of a pandemic. But others are also arguing that um, there's such a thing as responsible mining. What do you think about that? Well, we used, Christian, we used to call responsible mining as a myth. And then Gen Z and the millennials told me, oh, you mean fake news. So yes, responsible mining is fake news to us. There is no such thing as responsible mining, mainly because of three things. Number one, there is no legal definition of what responsible mining is. The only definition we have is on Section 2 of the Philippine Mining Act, and it's, and it's rational mining. It's not even responsible mining. With the lack of a legal definition, we do not have parameters to measure the performance of mining companies, nor can we hold DNR accountable because there is no parameter, there is no measurement on how can we say a mining company is being responsible or how can we say that DNR is implementing uh, responsible mining because there's no legal definition. However, on the third point, we, we, don't, we don't believe that best practice and minimum standards on international standards is good enough. There has to be more ambitious, there has to be more robust ways for us to promote and measure and hold government and mining companies accountable if they're actually doing responsible mining. I think that's so the minimum we can do in the, in the time of climate change. There's no type of method of mining that, that would be deemed acceptable for you? Oh, there is. Uh, as long as, for example, the mining project, one, it should follow all environmental laws. So, for example, it, it will not... I mean, we will not oppose a mining project if the local governments and the indigenous peoples accept it because from their analysis and from their view, it's going to be it's going to be beneficial to them. We are not going to oppose any mining project if it follows and complies with all environmental laws. Uh, but, you know, it's easy for us to oppose a mining project just on two justifications. One, they fail to secure the social acceptability of either the local government or the indigenous people. And it's quite clear why they refuse to give acceptability because the mining company failed to convince them that they will benefit from them. And number two, you know, I have told this even to the Chamber of Mines, you make the job of environmentalists very easy because you do not comply with environmental laws and your contractual obligations. Okay. So besides certain cases, what happens after in an open pit mine ceases operation? Basically, how is that decommissioned? Well, they have a five-year decommissioning and exit plan, a rehabilitation and decommissioning plan. In fact, that plan is supposed to be approved even before they start day one of digging the mine tenement. Problem is most of these decommissioning and rehabilitation plans are blueprints and not necessarily obligated up to a few years before the closure. So technically, all mining projects have to implement their rehabilitation or decommissioning plans on the even a few years before they act, their, their contract actually ends. Now, 
when does will the mining company still be obligated uh you know for care and maintenance of that mine site after the decommissioning plant the sad answer is no and i think this is one of the reasons why former dinar secretary gina lopez wanted the ban on open pit mines once the final mine rehabilitation and decommissioning plant ends on a specific time it's now the government's responsibility and obligation to care and maintain for that mine in any case you know christian there are i know only two mining projects that have entered rehabilitation and decommissioning phase under the philippine mining act one is rapu-rapu the other is uh tvi in sambuanga sibugay unfortunately both cases are bad examples of how a mine closes because they have failed to rehabilitate and decommission yeah, appropriately that, that, that is the point that i'd like to, to clarify with you is it really a, a problem with enforcement and regulation or that the method itself is the problem that even if you impose a lot of safeguards and strictly enforce them there's no way that you can properly rehabilitate an open pit mine that has been decommissioned because for instance in the latest administrative order by secretary simato that is his argument right sabaya major issues concerning mining uh including open pit mining cannot be attributed to the use of the method itself yeah but we we should be careful in reading that the opposition against open pit mining is not only on the accident and the mine spills and the disasters that come when something happens to the mine site or the tailings dam or the dra- acid uh, mine drainage many of the opposition against the open pit is a destruction of the forest that you cannot bring back uh, many of the opposition against the mining project is how the access to potable water has been reduced because the processing plant of the mining project needs and demands a huge number of of water volume of water those impacts are not solely because you have mitigation plans or because you have good technical solutions in your plan those are impacts of the mining project because of the nature of the mining you're going to cut trees you're going to level the mountains you're going to dig an open pit that is a permanent disturbance of the landscape and once a, a forest a primary or secondary forest is permanently disturbed it has repercussions on irrigation on landslides on erosion on disaster risk even on the culture and politics of life of people around that area those are the About things that cannot be solved by technical uh, elements meron bang naging ano naging kahit papaano glimmer of hope or silver lining because i suppose if you do that but there has to be something that you would have to offer after decommissioning let's say reforestation for instance meron bang nagwork kahit papaano i think there are efforts and and you know i i will not I will not begrudge this to the mining industry. I think some, in fact, even maybe even many of them are really conscious about their impacts right now. Are they doing reforestation? I know some of them are. Are they improving their standards on monitoring and uh, engineering standards? I, I accept that. I think so. But at the end of the day, we we are seeing best practices 
from from different stages of mining in different areas. I do not think that the whole mining industry itself is ready nor willing to go beyond responsible mining and actually do costing of their uh, impact so that at the end of the day, it cannot be the communities who will just uh, shoulder the impacts of this large-scale mining. Um, and you know, Christian, uh, even in times of, of disasters, you know, we have always said this, we, we should welcome all assistance and help from any corporations or anybody, of anybody, but corporations must not use the reforestation, the rehabilitation, or their corporate social responsibility as a means to convince the affected communities to accept something that is not acceptable to them in the first place. You have to understand the basic cost-benefit analysis of uh, open pit mining. Which yeah, but, next yeah, but you know, Christian, before I answer, the problem with the cost-benefit of the mining industry is they compute the cost of doing mining. They do oh, not compute okay. the cost of environment, social, yeah. health costs. And then when, yeah, when they compute point. the benefit, how much profit do they have? But yeah. uh, of course, they don't count the tax havens and the tax breaks. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the, the context of my next question. Your cost-benefit yeah. analysis, yeah. which is not exclusively limited to the company operations, but including the impact on the environment. Yung, let's talk about social acceptability. Why is it very important to make sure that, that the operations are accepted, mostly hindi naman embraced diba? by, by the community, and that they properly understand um, that the cost it could have on the local environment, for instance, on the community. Kasi nakalagay dito sa latest uh, administrative order, part of the safeguards that were spelled out, nakalagay, the company should conduct comprehensive stakeholders involvement. Maganda siyang pakinggan, di ba? Who would, who would argue with that? But in reality, how have mining companies, um, let's say, ignored or followed this particular safeguard? Well, I, I can cite an example, uh, and, and this is a trend. Whether we go to the DPO in Vizcaya, in Aroroy, in Masbate, or in Ipila, or in Brooks Point in Palawan, even as far as South Cotabato uh, with the Tampacan mines, social acceptability is important because you're going to affect the everyday lives of people in that area. Second, your effect or the impact of mining in that area is going to be permanent. You know, the mining industry will always say this, mining is not a permanent land use that they can go back to forest or they can rehabilitate it. That is only a half-truth. Once they cut the forest and the rivers are redirected, they cannot bring back the biodiversity, nor can they bring back the benefits that the original landscape was uh, providing as ecological services to the communities, whether directly in the impact area or downstream. So when a local government does oppose a mining project and in effect does not give its social acceptability, we can assume that the local government did its assignment, that they have studied the environmental impact assessment, that they have studied the taxation uh, estimates, and that they have studied all the other uh, proposals of the mining company that will benefit the local government. And the conclusion must have been, no, talo kami rito. Or no, we don't see this as part of our long-term direction. 
That is why social acceptability is important because if both the communities and the local governments do not accept the mining project, then you have the local government and the communities who will actively oppose them. And at the end of the day, it's only the mining company who will benefit. And then, and then you will see the local government suffer because you, the mining company will not have any participation or engagement from them. In practice, so how, how do local governments usually, in practice, do that assessment and provide decisions as to whether a proposed mining operation is acceptable to the local community? Sure. Uh, both in the DPO and Nueva Vizcaya, the, the provincial governments asked us several things. Number one, they asked us uh, expert opinions on the environmental impact analysis. Uh, halos sabayan, uh, kasi halos sabayan dalawang FTA na yan. Eh. They, they specifically ask, can environmental experts do a critique, review yung environmental impact assessment ng mining company? Now, specific naman to Tampakan, the provincial government was very specific. They asked for a hydrology study. Ano yung impact ng uh, Tampakan mine sa water ng South Cotabato? Because South Cotabato is primarily an agricultural area with all the pineapple and all the, and all the rice uh, fields there. And true enough, the mining company wasn't able to produce, but we did have some secondary data that told us and told the local government the available water supply in the six watersheds around South Cotabato is not enough for the demand of Tampakan mines. Now in the DPO, nung patapos na yung mining contract about three or four years ago, that was when a hydrology study was demanded or requested to us by the local government. Dahil nakita na nila more than 12 uh, community water systems dried up. Uh, between 2014 and 2015 when the DDP mines became fully operated. So that's one. Second, na hinihingi ng maraming local governments and even indigenous peoples, uh, money matters. Can we compute actually how much is the mining company going to pay the local government in terms of taxes at saka yung maraming promises? And in the case of indigenous peoples, some indigenous peoples are asking environmental groups, how, how much are we expecting and how much should we ask for the royalty payment? So, I mean, those are just two examples of three not. No? Uh, a critique of the environmental impact assessment, hydrology study, which is very important. And then third, money matters. How much taxes are actually, is it truthful? Because many local governments didn't realize Kung walang head office yung mining company sa LGU mo, hindi yan sa'yo magbabayad ng tax. Sa Bakati or sa Pasig magbabayad ng tax ang mining company. And some LGU learned that a little bit too late. Okay. Mr. J.B. Garganera, thank you very much for joining us tonight on the program. Thank you very much, Christian. Thank you for all your viewers. Happy New Year. Happy Christmas to you, J.B. Thank you. We're taking a short break. After the fact, we'll be right back.